Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. We're in Hobart. Hello, Hobart. How are yous? You good? Say hello. Ooh. John, welcome. Glad Thank you. Glad you make it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, John flew in. His plane was late, but we got here in time. I did. And Just. We, uh, we've had a good night. There's been some great food, uh, good conversation. It's an intimate crowd tonight. And there's about 22, I think, people here who are listeners of the podcast in Hobart. So if you are in Hobart and you are hearing this and you're not here, Mm. that sucks because we're in your city, baby. All right, just jumping in to really thank the event partners for these live events that we've been doing. And to be honest, like we can't actually do these tours without these event partners. And I would imagine... I did some loose crunching to do it without these event partners, it would probably cost well over $300 a ticket and it's just not going to happen. So thank you to Bricklet. Want to be on the property ladder sooner? If you haven't heard about Bricklets, then the time is now. Smaller pieces of property are a reality. Head to bricklet.com.au for more info. And the next episode you'll hear, uh, which is coming up on Thursday, is the deep dive episode with Darren from Bricklet. He's the CEO. And we actually went pretty deep. And he was very transparent. I mean, I asked him questions and I was being a bit cheeky and he still answered them. And I actually sent him a copy of the recording the afternoon after we recorded it. And I said, look, if you're not actually comfortable with these questions, tell me and I'll delete them because they're really transparent. And he goes, no, it's cool. So look out for that one. And then Open Trader. Open Trader is Australia's most competitive self-directed retail investing platform. And you can invest like a pro for only $5 a trade. Head to opentrader.com.au. And I love this about OpenTrader. You can set up a demo account. They'll put $50,000 in there and you can practice buying your favorite ETFs and shares. So if you're worried about placing a trade and then you might just practice putting a couple of thousand dollars in an ETF and place the trade. So that's really cool. And we'll do a deep dive episode with the CEO and founder of OpenTrader. Uh, in the coming weeks as well. And I'll hand it over to LaSalle to do the acknowledgement in Hobart. Hi, I'm LaSalle from Hobart. We acknowledge the Muwanina people, traditional Castonians of the land on which we stand and pay respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are with us tonight. Holly, we're going to start with you tonight and I'll let you read that. So I was just wondering what the best or most cost-effective way to invest in shares with a lower initial investment but smaller ongoing investments of around 150 a fortnight is. Like would you recommend Open Trader, like the Vanguard, Personal Investor or Beta Shares or... Or, or something else. Okay, so 
I, I'm going to use the whiteboard for this. I actually think when you are investing in shares, so if you had, for example, an Open Trader account, you know, they're sponsoring the tour. Thanks, Open Trader. Love your work. And within your brokerage account, you'll have a bank account, okay, that is linked to your everyday life out here, okay? And then within this uh, bank account, within the share broker account, you would then place a trade into maybe ETFs or, you know, direct shares, whatever you want, okay? So, we know with brokerage, it sometimes works out better to buy a parcel of maybe $1,000 or $2,000, okay? So, what I tend to say to people in these situations you should use either the time method or the dollar method. So what I would say, you said about $150 a fortnight. What you could do, you could automatically transfer $150 a fortnight over to the brokerage account. And then you could say the money method, as soon as that gets to $2,000 or the, the amount that you've decided in your mind, I'm just going to place the trade. Or what you could do is, transfer each fortnight and then the time method every three months, I'm just going to go in and place the trade. But if you were going to use a broker with a brokerage account, uh, I would certainly be looking at the the time or the dollar method. Any follow-up questions to that? So if I was to do it like every like month or two months, could I just put it in my offset and then once I've got a couple of grand, flick it over to the broker and do it that way so I'm offsetting in the interim? Yeah, yeah, you could definitely do it that way. The, the only thing is you've got an offset account, but if you didn't have an offset account, it really, because interest rates are so bloody low anyway, it doesn't really matter where it's sitting. But yeah, you could keep it on your offset account, set up a separate offset account if you've got that function on your mortgage and just pump that. And as soon as it gets to an amount or based on time or whatever. And the thing, the reason I say the time or the money, because if you did the time thing and you worked casually or you got overtime, you could just be like, I'm just going to pump that account every three months. I'm going to, whatever's in there, I'm going to place the trade. I think the key with that, what Glenn's explained is it's a system that you can just follow, set and forget weekly, monthly, whatever it is that you can just um, swear by and, and continue to do versus me where I just get a tip and buy a share and it doesn't do very well. <laughs> I told you not to buy it, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, and what'd you do? Yeah. I've got another one today though. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's going to kill it. <laughs> I said, it. don't buy it. It's had the run, mate. And <laughs> uh, Jacob, you've got a question. I do. Just built a new home, got an emergency fund. Do you recommend having it in a different bank account or having this value in an offset account attached to the mortgage? Oh, good question, Jacob. Um, can I ask you a question? Yes. Now? <laughs> How much is the emergency fund? 20K. Okay, so you can actually do the maths on what 20K would do in an offset account, can't you? You can take the loan and minus 20K off it, calculate the interest uh, per annum and then work out how long you're holding it in, in there. So that's the first thing I would do. Um, but a lot of it is around your appetite for spending that money. If you think, yep, out of sight, out of mind is going to be good for me, because then I know I'll have my emergency fund in six months' time, I'd say put it somewhere else. But if it, I think if it's sitting in the offset and, and you know you're a disciplined individual and you're not going to touch it, 
then it Mars will be sitting there saving you interest on what I call bad debt. That's exactly what I was thinking. We're on the same page. A lot of people go, what, what should I do with my emergency fund? No, your emergency fund is an insurance policy and the premium for that policy is the interest that um, you may forego. So as a wild rule of thumb, if, if it was $20,000 and the mortgage rate was 3%, so you got $600, um, if you then said, oh, I don't want my emergency fund to be on my offset account, I want to invest it in shares because I can get 6% or another $600, what we're doing, we're just saying out loud, I'm foregoing $600 a year to make sure that money is at call the second I need it. So, a lot of people freak out and, I mean, do what you want, but the problem with emergencies, often they happen not planned and often you don't have three days to sell down shares. Often when a pandemic hits, John, and you're told don't come into work and your emergency funds invested in shares, it's dropped 40% by the yeah, time you go to right. get it. So, Well, I got today, it was, uh, one, in, one was in a term deposit. So you can't pull it out of there at the drop of a hat. Otherwise, you get penalised for that. And, and it could take a week for the bank to unwind the term deposit. Yeah. But for me personally, when I first had my emergency fund, even though I had multiple offset accounts. So I would say keep it quarantined. So if your bank allows you to have three or four offset accounts, keep it in its own account. My When I first did all this stuff for me, I actually still had my emergency fund in an online bank, even out of sight, out of mind, because little sticky fingers over here gets his little mitts on the cash and wants to buy stuff. So because I'm getting better with spending and all that, because this whole podcast thing, like it's been a journey for me for accountability and- You're getting I, better, right? I'm becoming a better person. I'm growing up. And <laughs> so my emergency fund now is on an offset account because I rarely open the St. George app anyway. So it's, um, it's all good. All right, Madeline Jenkins, got a question here. Should we, as in Josiah and I, aim to pay down our smallest mortgage, which is one of our investment properties, to own and use the rental income or to pay off our principal place of residence? Oh, Madeline, can you, first of all, before we answer this, can you tell us what you think you should do? I think I should pay off my principal place of residence. Okay, so why are you actually asking the question? I just want more money every day. <laughs> and, <I think> that <laughs> and for the listeners, that wasn't a setup either. She's <laughs> honestly answered that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So there's a dance between, gee, I love this passive in- income um, feeling of, well, I can get 10 grand a year uh, without even going, going to work for it versus paying down the logical debt on our uh, mortgage that's not tax deductible and we that's our goal, right, to pay it down. So unfortunately, I'm going to give you the answer of what you're thinking. You've got to pay it down, I believe. Um, the passive income will come if you've got the ability to pay it down over time. Once you've got your mortgage sorted, then fantastic. That's your next debt to get on with. But for now, it's your principal place of residence, unfortunately. And are you, are you planning on living in that uh, house for some time? Well, you're going to renovate it, aren't you? We, we're nearly finished. Yeah, great. And we hope to 
next one and hopefully keep it as a portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So do you have an offset facility? We have a, a big regional that we play with a lot, um, but we are going to refinance to get an offset. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we need that. Well, if it's going to be an investment property down the track, uh, you might just have to get some advice on refinancing that. We'll talk later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've just um, – it, it depends on the amount too. Like, and we won't go into detail here, but what is your debt on your investment property? What yields it already producing? Like if you're getting a, a 6% gross yield, for example, uh, it's giving you positive cash flow before tax. It's covering all your costs and putting money in your bank. If it's already doing that, then don't get too excited about paying it down anytime soon. Um, worst case is you end up start starting to pay tax on that amount which isn't much fun. Right, Laura, you've got a question. After paying off all debt, I wonder, is 32 old to start working towards fire or loot? Love it. So for those listening, fire, it's an acronym that came out of the uh, USNDA, uh, Financial Independence Retire Early, where I'm of the view that I use the acronym loot, life on own terms. Uh, so John, someone who's in their 30s, is it too late to start worry about really getting financially independent? Yeah, we. I don't think we should worry about it, Laura. I think we should embrace it. If that's what you want, fantastic. It, the, the FIRE term, well, the FIRE concept's been around since all of us were born, long before. Um, I, I think people are living longer. As a, I read an article this week that says it's going to be 30,000 uh, 100-year-olds by 2050 or something silly like that. So we're living longer. So you're 32. Um, if you live to the average... Uh, 30. Sorry, thought you said 32. So I've just given you an extra two years. <laughs> yeah, you're extra um, two years behind now. <laughs> yeah, you better hurry up. Now it's too so, late, yeah. So, <laughs> so the average age at the moment is around 85. So you've got 53 years to live your life on average. So it all depends on your goals as to when you want that financial independence and what that amount is and what you want to do with your life and how elaborate you want your life to be. Uh, in short, my answer is you're never too old to do anything. No, there's probably people in their 40s and 50s listening to this right now saying, oh, if only I could turn back time to when I was 30. Uh, so I, I think you just got to go for it. And what I'd probably say is it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It could be I'm debt free. I like my lifestyle. I want to work four days a week and have a three-day weekend forevermore. Amen. Like, and you're allowed to do that. Society will go, what? That's weird. It's like, no, piss off. I'm doing what I want because there's no rules in life. Oh, a couple will get you thrown in jail. Um but you know what I mean? So I would just say go for it and you've just got nothing to lose. Who Put your hand up honestly in the crowd if you think sometimes that I've left it too late for my hopes, my dreams, my whatever. Like my hand is right, right up. So the problem we've got is we get stuck in our own head. Yeah, I, th I think just to add to that, I I'm not in total agreement or I'm on board with this whole fire thing. I I think I'm I, in my head. I'm already retired. If you want to use that analogy of of well, I'm doing something I love, 
and I can do generally speaking what I want when I want with my life for what my passions and interests are for the family, right? So what are you laughing at? I was going to say, you can't get the Hobart at 3pm though. <laughs> That's what I mean. I do what I want, right? <laughs> I can be late if I want. Uh, so I think we, we get this stuck in our head that we need to retire early, right? But what are we going to do? Like why can't we do it now? And how can we shape it to do it now and not put our so much pressure on the end result? It's like running the marathon. We, we train, train, train. And then when we complete the marathon, we, we high five and we have a bottle of champagne and celebrate. And then two days later, we're massive, massively deflated. Where's our next goal? Oh, well, that was good while it lasted, but now I'm just deflated about the next thing. So I, I don't think we should be building ourselves up to the end result. I think it just should be a, I'm enjoying tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that and just improving on those one percenters each week. I uh, I think four years ago ticked the three things off my bucket list that were on there. Right. And yeah, I know I, you know, I've, I do well and I have the opportunity to do them. But in my own mind, I was really like, oh, is this it? I'm done. Mm. Like, take me home. Yeah. Like it's, it was really weird. Mm. And it was, it just took someone else to say, well, you can make a new list. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I actually do want to go to the Blue Lagoon in Iceland one day. Oh yeah. That could be a new thing. So I think we just get so stuck in our own head and that's why it's important to come to these events or do the clarity call and just be encouraged and around people who are for us and not, you know, trying to pull us down and all that stuff. Yeah, and I don't think it's even – we're going off a bit of a tangent but I think it's good. I don't think that pulling us down, it's just what they know as the norm Mm. and what we've been conditioned to do. And we're conditioned to go to school, get a good job, work hard, um, trade time for money, contribute to super, pay off our own home, live happily ever after, right? That's a flawed model in my opinion. You've got to change the story, change the narrative for you. And if, if you're enjoying that model, fantastic. But if you're not, it's 40 hours a week for the next 30 years is a long time that you're actually wasting away and you get to the end of it and think, oh, shit, that wasn't much fun. And I think it's about identifying in your life what is your definition of success. And to me, I've only just worked this out recently in my life. Most days, in fact, all days, I don't set an alarm. I tried to ring you the other day and you you were asleep. Yeah. (laughs) It was like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. It wasn't. <laughs> well, I was at twelve thirty. No, don't make me get the call log up. <laughs> Actually, shout out to uh, Open Trader and their <laughs> chief marketing officer Camilla. Yesterday morning, I woke up uh, nine a.m. Oh, I missed call Camilla eight thirty. Hope nothing's wrong with the event in Hobart. <laughs> oh. Oh, so, but go. for me, that's like the ultimate because. My mum always said to me growing up, she's like, you hate going to bed and you hate getting up. Like anyone like that? <laughs> and I like hate going to bed and I just hate getting up. And to me, 
I, I'm I'm just loving it because yeah. I can get up whenever. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't have kids and all that stuff. Yeah, we. I don't. I don't need an alarm either because the bloody kids wake me exactly, up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and we we'll back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, we're back. Lockie, uh, we've got a question um, is there any value in the old-fashioned approach of fronting up to a bank to discuss a loan like all mums and dads tell their kids, maybe even nan and pop? Or is it best practice these days in 2021 to be finding an independent mortgage broker? One word, Lockie. No. <laughs> There's no value in it. Uh, look, I think it's a, it's a good question, uh, but in my opinion, when I grew up all those years ago, Lockie, um, there was the local bank manager, mum and dad knew them, have a cup of coffee with them and they get a loan, right? That was the old-fashioned way and they built rapport and, and they were loyal and, and they would never go anywhere else. And for us, it was CBA, never go anywhere other than CBA. Coincidentally, I'm with CBA today, um, but not because of loyalty. Uh, it's because my broker had the ability to look across so many different options and say, yes, this one's the best one for your situation. So I think that's the key. If you've got the time and resources to go and do that, then go for your life. Um, the third party independent non-emotion uh, put into it, I think is really critical. So you've got to appreciate that part of it. But I always look at it like this. If, if I walk into ANZ they're not going to tell me that Westpac's got a better deal. And, and I may not know if they've got a better deal and I've already got a loan with this ANZ crew and I'm there for the next 12 months. I've got two practical examples that um, have, I've seen happen in real life. The first one, uh, did anyone here pay lenders mortgage insurance on their mortgage? Yep, a few people. So if you went down to the local branch, we'll just pick on ANZ, and you were in LMI territory, so you only had a 10% deposit, and ANZ, ANZ said, yep, absolutely, we can get your mortgage, the LMI is $10,000. The broker might go, well, we looked at ANZ and they've got a rate of 3% and a $10,000 LMI, but we can put you with this lender over here Yes, the rate's 3.1%, but the LMI is only seven grand. So it's not all about the rate and you just need that broker to look at the whole universe. And then the second example, I was with somebody the other day and I was at a broker with them and the broker, she said, yep, uh, I think St. George is probably looking the sharpest in your situation that's their advertised rate, but we can make the call and get it cheaper than what they advertise. And I'd probably question whether if you went to St. George Direct, they would hook you up with a cheaper rate. But you've had a broker say, we know you've done this for our other clients, hook us up. Um, so 
for what that's worth, I'm absolutely pro-broker. I'm not against banks. I'm just against paying more for stuff that I can get cheaper elsewhere or a more appropriate solution. And then you can go into like uh, one lender might not have multiple offsets included in the package. The other one might just have one offset account and then charge you $10 a month. So it's just literally... Yeah, and for all listeners, I think... Where we might get confused is the broker's given me this example where I can get 2.4%, but then I've seen on TV that someone else is offering 1.9%. Okay. Well, yeah, it might be 1.9%, but it actually doesn't relate to my situation because of my servicing or my deposit amount or my occupation or so you've got the devil's in the detail. So I think that's where maybe people get this idea that, yeah, I'm better off going alone. Um, And it's very, very rare that you'll get a better rate than what the broker can give you. Thanks, Lockie. Did that help? And we've got a question from Darcy. Best way to get a second investment property, use capital from first owned and occupied home as we have for our first one. So you've got a home already. There's a bit of meat in it. There's equity in it. Uh, Do you have any cash savings? A little bit. Yeah. So you're saying what's the best way to get into an investment property? Second one. We've just got our first one. You've just got your first investment property? We're seeking the second one. Okay. So you'll have three properties in total. Rich. <laughs> well done. First of all, congratulations on uh, on two purchases and hopefully a third one soon. Do you have a mortgage broker? Yeah. We've just swapped actually. We've just refinanced. And- so do you know how much you can borrow? Yep. Okay. So I think there's a couple of questions here. One is what yield do you need on that? second purchase, that second investment property and what's the yield on the first property because we need to understand our overall cash flow position um, and and understanding the cash flow in our life as well. So, and, and why I say that is in an ideal world, I would pull equity from our our own home and use that as a deposit because then that becomes tax deductible. But equity is a loan and we need to pay the interest on that loan. Now, whilst it's tax deductible, we still need to pay it, don't we? Versus cash that we own outright and we can make the repayments less on a monthly basis. So ideal world equity, but again, you need to get the right yield that I believe will then allow that property to stand on its own two feet and not be reliant on another property. So question, I'm in a little bit of a similar situation. I've, I've just got a property to settle. Can I have a quick book clarity in a, call? Book in a clarity call. <laughs> <laughs> haven't got time for you tonight. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's actually just thoughts. Like this is me exactly. So John. This is a setup. No, it's legit. <laughs> um, so the third, so my principal residence has increased in value. Yes. And there's meat in there. Yes. Um. I could set up a, another mortgage. Mm. So I've got a separate mortgage that um, I can then put into that other property. And that second mortgage, because it's separate, it's easy to track for deductibility. Yeah. I'm personally thinking I just want to leave everything as is and throw <laughs> grand or whatever it is 
into the other property. As a deposit for that yeah. third one. Yeah. Yeah. So by by Glenn doing that, he's taking away grand that could be offsetting his debt on his own home. If he's got his own home debt sorted, then that's fine. <laughs> There's a but coming. <laughs> but I think it goes back to your emotional comfort level. And that, that's what I was about to say is, is what can you handle and what yields? And that's why I wanted to know what purchase price, therefore what yields, etc. So if you're buying something for, I don't know, 700000 which probably not, but let's say it is, the yield on that, the higher the purchase price, the lower the yield, generally speaking. So the running costs on that property are going to be much more, which would probably lend itself towards using cash. But if you're buying something at four or five hundred thousand, the yields should be a lot better, which means it will hold its own much easier, which hopefully means you can then use the equity. Yeah. So it depends on the strategy. And for me, if I'm being completely open and honest and transparent, if I put say grand into that property, I'm not going to spend it. And that's fine as well. Weak. So that's another part to consider. Now. Because seriously, these, it, these I'll two buy another people boat. look. Yeah. These two people look way more disciplined than Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So, I think I would be steering towards uh, equity if you can get that yield right. Yep. And you're diversifying the three assets, of course, aren't you? They're, they're not all in Hobart. Oh, the first two are pretty close. <laughs> 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 you're pointing a drive for each other. But... Yeah. Okay. Have you committed to the third property yet? No, no. Like we've literally, like on Wednesday, we settled with our first. Oh, geez, you're thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Aggressive. Like my last, he's like, Carrie, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, so the third one I want to get with yeah. the next year. Cool. So I'm just like planning now. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. So it's very hard to, I suppose, when it's next year, very hard to lock down a price point and a location and a yield, but you can start to get a feel for what's going to happen. Because I want to get in now. Okay, so if it is, well, you've got to wait for this next one to settle and rent out for servicing, generally speaking. So once that's done, then you can set a strategy. But yeah, first things first. Well done, love your aggressive approach. And it sounds like you're, you're actually methodical in the way you're going about it, which is a, a key. Uh, before we wrap this thing up, anyone got any other questions that have come to mind during the course of tonight's event? Lisa? Lisa? Um, do, would you recommend putting extra money that you've got into super or putting it into like shares like ETFs and stuff? A couple of things. The question is, I've got extra money. I want to invest it. Okay. Now, putting it in super or putting it into shares and ETFs, they're both going into the same asset class. Okay. So, we need to first know that number one, I've got money to commit to growth assets for probably at least the next 10 years because realistically, if you buy shares, you don't want to have to sell within seven years. So I think the trade-off is when I get that question, I always answer it the other way of when wouldn't I put money into super, like extra money. So I wouldn't put extra money into super if I was cleaning up my consumer debt. I wouldn't put extra money into super if I was saving for my first home deposit, I wouldn't put extra money into super if I wanted to buy an investment property outside of super in my own name. 
I wouldn't put extra money into super if the plan is to save up $40,000 and then when COVID's over, go travel the world and do all that stuff. So you really kind of cascaded down with your goals to say, okay, I've got a spare I'll make a number up, $5,000. What do I want to do with like, do I have any goals? If the answer is, you know what, if this $5,000 dropped off the face of the planet tomorrow and I didn't notice it, it might be, well, I'm going to put it into super, get the tax deduction along the way and get on with my life. If it is that, well, I reckon in about seven years, I might want to, I don't know, start a business and grow trees or I don't know, and you needed some capital in seven years time, you might go, well, I'll keep it out of super because I'm going to need that money. Or you could go, I'm going to put half in super and half out of super. So there's no right or wrong, but I think it's working out. Um, do you want me to like really drill down? All right, let's do it. Hi, Lisa. Okay. Ugh. How old are you? 30. Uh, do you have a partner? Yes. Uh, what do they do? Um, he—it's <laughs> a little bit complicated. He's like a um, a lab tech. Sort of Sweet lab rat. Um, do you own a current property? Yes. Um, do you have any consumer debt? I have a credit card, but I don't owe anything on it. Okay, so technically no. Um, do you have any other short-term goals within the next two years that you need money for? Not really, no. Do you? plan to start a family in the next three years? No. So I, I think you could be a candidate to throw it in super and get on with your life. Like that's what I'm probably thinking, uh, but I can't give you personal financial advice. <laughs> if I wasn't going to give her financial advice, mm. 30 years of age, 30 years to get that money invested back out versus putting it into ETFs, get a return on it, put it into property, which where it should be anyway. <laughs> Give me a freaking break. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of property questions. Yeah, true. Well, do you yeah. want to um, – well, let's go there, John. Right, let's do it. So the thing with super and, – and probably what I would want to do, like so everyone at home, Lisa told me the amount. She whispered it to me in my little ear. And what you might decide to do is go, we might have this – quote unquote, leftover money um, at the end of every year anyway. So you might just decide, well, from July, I reckon I'm just going to tell our boss to salary sacrifice it and just do it automatically. So the, the, the thing that I like about super, and again, I'm not like everyone, we know that. <laughs> Once it goes in, if I can draw this circle again, we'll pretend this circle's super, if you contribute that money, the government charge you 15% tax to put the money in, then that amount that you've put in, you can claim that on your tax return. Okay, so it's a deduction. Your tax rate's probably 32.5%. So again, where I'm from, 15% is less than 32.5%. So we know that's better. The trade-off is that we can't get that money out unless you're dead, disabled, retired, or want to be fraudulent during COVID and buy a boat with your super. <laughs> so, but the advantage of superannuation is that once the money's in there, the tax rate is 15%. So if you had the money invested outside of super 
and we'll just call it $10,000 and it had a return, I don't know, we'll just do $1,000 a year. That $1,000 a year would go on your tax return as income and be taxed at 32.5%. But if this $10,000 was in super, the $1,000 return is only taxed at 15%. So, the growth of the money can grow faster in super because it's getting taxed less. The magical thing is, and the reason I use super, because I'm doing the Glen of tomorrow a favour today. Once you get over age 60 and stop working, you would move the super fund to what they call pension phase And then the money, if it grew $1,000, the tax rate is then zero. So the money is then in a tax-free environment. And when you draw the money out, the tax is zero as well. But again, you've just got to know that the trade-off that the government say is you can pay less tax along the way and have your money growing in a tax-effective environment, but you just can't get your mitts on it unless you die, which you can't get it anyway, unless you can't work ever again, you can get access to it, unless there's a medical event or special circumstances or, or whatnot. But effectively, it's locked away. And for me, what, because I'm in a good position in my own financial life, it's a no-brainer for me to pump that. But if in doubt, I think a good rule of life is if in doubt, don't. If you're not sure, well, we'll put half in. Or if it's not going to change your life, whatever, throw it in. If you've got no other goals outside, that's a long way to say whatever. <laughs> and, then, and this is like, I said this at the other live event, if you keep out of consumer debt, if you've got a plan for the future to spend less than what you earn and invest the rest, you can't wreck it. Just take action. Thank you, Hobart, and we will see you soon. All right, bye. bye. Give yourself a round of applause, everyone. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.